Hello and welcome to the Sportscope podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. Joining me, as always, is the strategic Ruben Williams. How are you, man? G'day, Ryan. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you very much. I've actually just had a bit of an injection of strategy. <laughs> I've just returned from a couple of days in Sydney, and I was up at the Unisport Australia conference, which involves sitting in on the uh, the annual general meeting for Unisport Australia. Wow. So I uh, got to learn a bit about the business, what's going on in the world of Unisport in Australia. So feeling quite strategic, but also... Um, Got the chance to present at a conference up there, which is the first time I've had to do one in person, Ryan. Yeah. It's a bit it's a different skill set presenting in it person. Is. <laughs> yeah. You can't edit. You can't hide behind <laughs> your notes on your screen. You can't There's you no know, cheeky notes on the side for you to just look at. Nah, exactly right. You can't wear whatever you want from the waist up. It's a it's entirely yep. new ball game. So um yep. Uh, but a lot of fun at the same time um, and really just reminded me how good it is to get out there and meet people again and chat with them face to face, even like before the presentation, after the presentation, all that sort of thing. So yeah. no, I had been having a good time in Sydney last week, made some good friends. So nice, man. time to do more of it, I think. Been clocking up some kilometers on the, aer- on the aircraft lately, us two. So yes. it's, uh, it's good to be back in the studio. Absolutely. It's been a little bit of time. Um, excited about this episode, so let's uh, let's jump in. If you want to learn more about who we are, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. We do love LinkedIn. You'll see a bit of content from us. Or if you want to ask us any questions at all, jump into the SportsGrade community. Absolutely buzzing the big Discord server at the moment, so jump in if you haven't already. It is going off. And a quick shout-out to one of our members, Luke Richardson, who has just landed a Richo. role. Big old Richo. <laughs> Luke Richo, his name is on the Discord server. I love that. Yes. Bit of nickname in him. And he's awesome. just uh, updated his title to include Netball Australia. It's massive. Where he has landed a role as a digital and social media officer there covering the uh, the Super Netball League, which is fantastic. So well done to you, Luke. And well done to Netball. They are absolutely smashing in there. They just keep mm. hiring person after person at the moment. But um. If you are like Luke and you want to get your foot in the sports industry or if you are like Netball Australia and you want to find good people quickly and easily, there is something for everyone inside the sports grad community. I just got a call from Athletics Australia this morning, in fact, and they were like, hey, we need someone to fill a role really quickly. How do we get involved? Uh. So uh, look forward to seeing them in there as well. But nice. jump inside if you uh, want to get amongst it. Awesome, Rubes. <clears throat> Sorry, I just got to clear my throat for this one. <laughs> um by the way, June is a really special time. Mm. Uh, we love June. Your birthday is in May, I thought. It is in May, but June 5, which is exactly one month ahead of my birthday, is Deacon's Virtual Open Day, um, which is Sunday, June 5. Um, genuinely awesome event. I know we've done open days in the past where we've gone and seen the uni. Um, there's virtual ones as well, which are just as good. So... For those out there looking uh, to get into uni, Deakin is your first stop. So you can explore courses, check out campuses, have your study questions answered as well, and you can do that all from the comfort of your own home. Um, over the past two years, over 100,000 people have joined the, the virtual open day. That's so huge. it's all about your future and where you can get to. Really exciting. So get along. Don't miss out. Go to oh, – actually, you can search Deakin Open Day – and reserve your spot today. So get along to that. Really, really good day. So I can't recommend it enough. Mm. Beautiful. Well, Ryan, you mentioned it's a massive episode. I'm extremely excited for this one. It's the first time that we've touched on the world of strategy, the consulting world as well. Our guest for today is Oliver Gilbert. He's a senior strategy consultant at Gemba Group. Now, Oliver started off at the prestigious Melbourne High School in uh, in the inner east of uh, of Melbourne. You say uh, that with such a smile on your face. <laughs> it's uh, it's one of the great schools in in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and uh, he smashed his school there. He went off to ANU, did a law degree, absolutely blitzed it there as well. Before stepping into the consulting world with Deloitte and Macquarie. But in the back of his mind, he always knew he wanted to work in the sports industry. And Mm. so he created this incredible foundation for himself and knowledge of consulting and and business as well so that he could apply it to the sports industry at the right point in time. And six months ago, that point in time came and he's now working with Gemba. And I think there's a lot of people who have been through a similar pathway to him and would love to apply it to the sports industry. So he's just an incredible example for those people who want to apply their trade to something they're passionate about. 
Yeah, absolutely. Love this episode. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is a bit funky today, isn't it? <laughs> it's probably just being back in the uh, in the studio. But um, Ollie, great episode. Um, awesome, awesome guy. With what stood out for you? Because for me, there's there's a lot. Yeah. Well, the the number one thing that stood out for me was just how to get into a strategy role in sport. You know, he talked about all the different extracurricular activities that you you need to do. Uh, I don't know if extracurricular is the right title. It's probably required curricular yeah. activities. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't just go get a degree and expect to work in sport. Required curricular, I like required that. Required curriculum. You'll understand uh, the required curricular things that uh, that Ollie did soon enough. Um, but then also you need to have the right motivations as well. So hearing why Ollie wanted to apply it to the sports mm. industry was particularly industry uh, interesting and how it was so well grounded in, in who he is. So I think there's a lot that people can take away from yeah. Ollie's motivations and the extra things that Ollie did to get to where he is now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I loved just the explanation of what strategy is. Like it, it's a big buzzword I feel in, in the sports industry or any industry. So getting an explanation about what work he does day to day was pretty cool. And I think a lot of people out there kind of think, hey, yeah, I'd love to be in strategy, but don't really know what it involves. So hearing some of the projects he works on, genuinely awesome. Yeah, and very articulate in terms of the process from start to end of what yeah. he actually does too. Yep. Uh, and then finally, the other thing I really enjoyed was just uncovering what it's like to work at an agency. We've talked to a lot of clubs. We've talked to a lot of leagues. Today, we're talking to an agency and finding out what mm. their world looks like because they sit across all different areas of sport. So for those who are considering a slightly different environment to take their career, um, Ollie paints a really nice picture of what the agency world is like. Awesome. Well, let's jump in, grab a pen, enjoy this chat with Ollie Gilbert. <laughs> Ollie. Welcome to the Sportscape podcast. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Thanks, Ruben. Ollie, pleasure to have you on. You've uh, you've come across from the the dark side of the consulting world to the uh, <laughs> the bright lights of the sports industry. How how are you finding it so far? Uh, it's going really well. I've just ticked over six months in the sporting industry now. Um, I thought probably six years of commercial experience would stand me in pretty good stead for what the sports <laughs> industry holds, but I'm learning very quickly that it's not necessarily the case. Um, you know, there's a lot more to what constitutes a good sports organisation or a good sports league than just a profit and loss statement. So. Yeah, it's going well so far. Excellent. And, and your boss isn't forcing you to stay until 12 a.m. at night or, or beyond. I hear the consulting firms and the big law firms of the world can be pretty rough at times, but uh, is the sport industry treating you okay? Yeah, absolutely. I'm being treated okay so far. We still have our moments here and there, but um, yeah, it's definitely not the same as it once was, that's for sure. <laughs> it's good to hear you're sleeping better. Yeah. Always, <laughs> always what you want. Um, so Ollie, you obviously built your career early on before... Yep sort of Deloitte, Macquarie, yeah. these kind of organisations. Where did that love of sport come from and, and when did you know you always wanted to work in sport? Yeah, I, I was trying to think about this um, over the last few days. Um, so mum used to tell me as a three or four-year-old growing up, I'd be watching the Formula... I grew up in the UK, yeah. um, so the time zones were more favourable to watch Formula One. And she said, I'd be sitting, um, you know, sitting in front of the TV watching the Formula One and I'd be able to tell, barely, you know, barely speaking, and I'd be able to tell mum and dad, you know, the pit stop strategies, what tyres were going on the cars. Um, yeah. So I think that was probably the starting point for my passion for sport. Um, but it's something which throughout my whole life through playing or following, I've been really interested in. So you would have been all over the Grand Prix when it came to Melbourne recently, part of the 400,000 people that were there? Yeah, yeah, I was. I was. Um, first time I've been in a couple of years and it was a pretty eye-opening experience in terms of, first of all, the number of people there, but also seeing a, you know live events back in Melbourne on that scale. Um, it was pretty amazing and I think that's what Melbourne's all about. So... Yeah, and when you talk about playing sport, we we did the Formula One interest carry across to your <laughs> Saturday sport, or were you playing other things? Mate, it did it. it. It drove an interest when I was like seven or eight to become an astronaut, but I worked out pretty quickly <laughs> that I was no good at science and no good at maths. So um, yeah, just pretty standard footy in footy in the winter, cricket over summer, um, bit of running here and there, and water polo at school. So try to play as much as I can outside of you know school and university and that sort of stuff. Brilliant. Well, uh, we've heard that you uh, had a bit of time working at the, the MCC, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So um, when, I, um, when I started as a grad, um, 
my job was working in mergers and acquisitions at Deloitte, but I loved sport. It was, you know, as we talked about, my number one passion. Um, so I knew outside of my day to day, I wanted to be involved um, to some extent. And one of my friends at the Melbourne High Footy Club worked at the MCC on weekends or at the MCG on weekends. And I was like, you know what? It's something a bit different. I get paid to watch footy in an aisle for free two or three times a week. Um, you know, what a great opportunity and what yeah. a great way to spend my weekend. So I'd be working Monday to Friday. Um, we were working based in Melbourne, but working out of Sydney for the best part of two and a half years. So first flight up on um, Friday, uh, first flight up on Monday morning, last flight back on Friday night. And then I'd usually roll into a footy game on Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening and then Sunday as well and then go again. Oh, so, um, th so this is while you're working full time, yeah, yeah. not while you're during school or at university? No, this is while I'm working full time as a grad. Wow. So yeah, we'd be clocking up some pretty big um, hours during the week and then I'd fly back to Melbourne, I'd play reserves footy for Melbourne High and then I'd roll to the MCG that afternoon wow. or that night and so yeah. Based in Sydney at that time? Yeah, yeah. So our team wow. was based in Melbourne, but um, all our work was in Sydney. So we yeah. were flying all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. So in terms of um, that MCG story, so the job that I got was to basically work as a ca casual um, aisle person. So showing people to their seats, checking their tickets, letting them know where to sit. So I was doing that for probably 12 months. Um, and then <laughs> there were times where, you know, you get put in a bad part of the MCG. Like I remember so clearly to this day um, being behind the <laughs> being behind the Collingwood cheer squad one day when they were getting absolutely pumped and it was just chaos. Oh. Like people throwing beers everywhere, fights. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no. is this really how I want to be spending my weekends? All my mates are out there having fun. Um, but randomly I got tapped on the shoulder by a lady who worked for the MCC. So um, yeah, just out of nowhere, she's like, I've been watching you for a while. I really like your demeanor. Um, I'd like you to sort of come up and meet the MCC committee. So just out of nowhere, and I'm wearing my big wow. um, sort of ugly green and orange uh, MCC or MCG outfit, met the MCC committee and they were like, we want you to work for us on match days. So I went literally from being the most junior person at the MCC to probably the most senior person out of a thousand employees in the space of five minutes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so in terms of what my role was um, at the MCC, I was basically the match day assistant to Stephen Goff, who at the time was um, the CEO or president of the MCC. Um, and I'd work on the door. I'd, if he needed me to run upstairs to the office and get him any fact or figure, um, it'd be helping out with that sort of stuff. Um, and it just gave me access to the who's who of sport um, in Melbourne and across Australia, I guess, which that's what gave me, again, going back to your question, that's what gave me the fuel to be like, this is the industry that I want to work in because, mm. you know, on a match day, you might have the club boards, you might have the AFL exec, um, you might have people from all around Australia. We had Joe Biden in when I was there, wow. which was pretty oh, cool. Yeah. Far out. Um, I was at that game. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was massive. I've never seen a level of security like that before. Yeah. And obviously that was before he was president. Um, but that sort of gave me access to people within the industry, which all of a sudden um, I really respected. But I learned that, that there's a career in sport for people who really want it. Mm. That was incredible. How long were you at the MCC for? Uh, I was there casually for, I reckon, two and a half years. And for a year and a half, it was in that capacity working for the MCC committee. And that was an incredible amount of time to work seven days a week yeah. on top of the stress of yeah. the consulting world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, um, I look back on it and really don't know how I did it. And <laughs> I remember so clearly... Um, one of the one of the major things where I'm like, okay, something needs to give way. Was I sat down with my parents one night after a long shift at the MCC, and they're like, "You get off a plane, you put your washing in the washing machine, and then you're <laughs> gone for the weekend, and then we see you for a little bit on Sunday night, and that's it." And they're like, "Something needs to give." Like, you, yeah. you, and this was before flexible working. They're like, "You can either peel back Deloitte to four days a week if you want to continue the MCC." Um, or give up the MCC and very reluctantly I had to give up the MCC which felt like going through a breakup to be honest I was <laughs> yeah. devastated I used to I used to sit at games for you know the couple of weeks and months after looking up at the MCC committee box being like oh I wonder what's going on up there instead of watching <laughs> yeah. the footy but I'm <laughs> <laughs> so exactly. that role though so yeah. you, you went from just ushering yeah to then like finding info do yeah. you mean like if he's meeting with people and yeah. he needs you know, something on what the MCC is doing, you yeah. go and find it for him. Yeah, like, exactly right. Wow. In the space of two minutes. So, 
you know, going back to how sometimes luck can influence your career, um, that's yeah. a massive part of it for me because I think without that moment of being tapped on the shoulder, um, mm. I would have never got access to the people that um, I did in terms of advice and mentorship um, and then probably wouldn't have understood what working in the sports industry entailed. Mm. So Make your own luck though, don't you? Yeah, like, absolutely. As you said, the demeanour part of it. Yeah. You obviously were pretty good at ushering. You're pretty yeah, nice, uh, yeah. decent guy. So it's like, you know, it pays to, to do that right. Yeah, exactly. Mm. We, we've got uh, quite a number of listeners who do work casual jobs in sport, probably yeah. doing similar sort of activities to what you were doing. Yeah. What What were you doing during your time at the MCC that made this woman come and tap you on the shoulder? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people who would love to have that sort of elevation. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, number one, always try and smile and be polite and do the right thing by people. I think manners go a long way for sure. Um, but I think... For me, at the time, I didn't feel like that would ever lead to a career or it would ever instill a drive to work in sport. Um, but a job in sport doesn't have to be the CEO of the AFL. Like, literally starting as, you know, cleaning the grounds at a local footy club, being on a local committee, volunteering, whatever it might be, is genuinely a step in the right direction. Mm. And I think um, you, you may not feel this because you're so passionate about it and loved being in the MCC every single day. But I think there's a level of humility to be able to step step back from the work that you're doing in the consulting world and say, I'm going to give my time to the MCC on the weekend for a much lower pay to yeah. watch these people throwing beer around and make sure everyone's safe and having a good time. Yeah, And I think that's very comparable to other people who are looking for something else to add to their resume and want to make it in the sports industry. Uh, but are unwilling to put their time into a grassroots club or, or, or otherwise. But, you know, you're a perfect ex- perfect example of someone who's willing to go that extra mile, find time somewhere, make a lot of sacrifices, and it's worked out extremely well for you. So I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I think it's a thing that's worth recognising. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Like, I remember there would be times where I'd be on the train on the way into work, work being at the MCG, um, particularly when I was an usher. And I'd always think, oh, like, what if I run into someone from work or what if I run into my boss or whatever? (laughs) And I did a couple of times and they'd always say to me, you know, on the Monday or the following week, you were so buzzed doing what you were doing. Like, it just seemed like you genuinely loved your work. And it's just a reminder that, you know, sometimes you have to sort of throw... um, prestige or what you think your self-perception or whatever it might be um to try and forge or follow your dream Mm. the other great example who we've had on the podcast is carlo casparian when he was 29 he was living over in uh, london and just working for a marketing agency there he went to volunteer for the chelsea foundation uh, completely unpaid but he did that to get experience to start moving his career towards the sports industry and again i thought you're almost 30 years old. He's thinking about getting married and having kids. You know, volunteering is probably not on most people's agenda at that point in time, but he's landed as a general manager of media and marketing at Football Australia now, which is exactly where he wants to be. So I think both of you are incredible examples of, you know, going that extra mile at any stage of your career to get where you want to be. No, I appreciate that. Also looks pretty good on a resume where it says you're working full-time and then you've got a second <laughs> job there. Yeah. It like shows you're pretty keen to go the extra mile. So maybe a little tip for young players out there. Yeah, I think so for sure. <laughs> Last one on the MCC before yeah. we continue. But um, when Shane Warne passed away, they were very quick to announce the Shane Warne stand as a renaming of the Great Southern stand. In my mind, I'm thinking someone at some point in time in the background has thought there's got to be a point in time when Shane Warne gets the naming rights to this stand. Was that in conversation when you were around at all? It definitely wasn't in conversation. <laughs> I think um, sport has an amazing way of respecting its heroes, mm, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I think, obviously, with Shane, gone far too early. Um, but it's the ultimate respect, right? Mm. That the MCG was his playground. So yeah, definitely yeah. no conversation. But regardless of if he passed away early or, um, you know, down the track, I think there definitely would have been a stand of some sort named after him. Mm. I love that saying. MCG was his playground. That's like one of the great compliments. Um, So let's jump to your time at Deloitte and Macquarie. And I'm keen to understand sort of being in those roles, how did that prepare you for for working in sport? And what are some of those skills that you learned along the way that's really held you in in good stead? Yeah, I'll probably go um, back one step 
and sort of explain why I went to Deloitte as a grad yeah. in the first place. Yeah. Um, so I did. I went to Melbourne High. Everyone at Melbourne High does like heavy maths, heavy science. It's just <laughs> the way that it goes. Um, but I really wanted to follow subjects which were more related to sports. So I did like physical education, health and human development, which the school wasn't yeah. really too well equipped to teach. Um, but I just really wanted to do it because I loved sport. So um, was working through, I really wanted to do sports science at uni, which was a fairly low um, enter score at the time. Did really well at school, topped the state for health and human development and PE. Um, and we, we noticed on your on your LinkedIn account. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take that. Your down. LinkedIn is special. Oh. I, I won't say. Oh. Oh. I've got to say. Scrolling down, I was like, oh, ATAR of ninety nine point five. I said I wasn't gonna say. I've got I've got to take all that down. I Brilliant LinkedIn though. It's yeah. too it's too long ago. Um, <laughs> but I really wanted to do sports science. A lot of the advice I got from people at school was do something if you want to work in the sports industry genuinely. Um, do something commercial first. So I went away to ANU and did a law degree because I wanted to go down the path of player management. I thought at the time that was um, a lot more glamorous than the, the reality think, of it. I think if I'm everybody does yeah. start with player management. You certainly did. I certainly did. Yeah, yeah I think, <laughs> I think you, watch, you watch all the American movies and think it well, doesn't get much better than that. Moneyball, Jerry Maguire, yeah. all these ones that just make it look amazing. It's probably the closest you can get to the real thing. So I think that's... Agreed. When you realise you're not going to play AFL, then that makes sense. Agreed. <laughs> so. Agreed. Um, so, yeah, I went away to ANU and did law, worked out pretty quickly. I didn't want to be a lawyer. Um, so went through sort of the grad application process um, and started as a grad in, in M&A at Deloitte, which gave me just a really good business foundation. Um, you know, we worked across a heap of really interesting projects around sort of, um, you know, understanding business fundamentals, um, the team that I worked in was focused on integration and strategy. So what is the integration strategy and how can maximum value be derived from deals? How do you deliver on a deal promise and ensuring synergy realisation? How do you minimise business disruption? And then how, to, how do you ensure that you're tracking to plan, which crosses over so much with what we're doing now with sporting mm. organisations. So the reason why, and I loved the team and I loved a big corporate environment as a junior. I think it's a really good starting point because... Our grad pool was hundreds of people around the country. So you make mm. some really close friends and obviously build a really good network as a starting point in your career, which I really value now. Um, but at the same time, built sort of that underlying commercial understanding of what makes a business run well, um, which every sporting organisation body or league is trying to do. So mm. that was the starting point. How long did you spend in the consulting world? Uh, so three years at um, Deloitte and then two years at Macquarie Bank. Yep, yep. yep. And, and through those five years, did you always have it in the back of your mind, this is what I'm doing to prepare me for sport? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I've kind of made the decision, which is not um, what I want to do now. Now that I've got a taste for sport, it's what I initially thought, but I was like, I'm going to be the CEO of the Geelong Cats Footy Club. That Love was it. that was my dream as soon as I left uni. Love it. We, like, do, we do want to get Steve Hocking on the podcast at some point. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> well, my, uh, my girlfriend's father is uh, having dinner with him this Friday night, so maybe we can pass on the oh, message. Oh, <laughs> hey, Steve, we've got, a, we've got an heir to your throne. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. Um, oh, fantastic. And, and so what were some of the... Um, uh, things that we, you were able to use when you um, got to Gemba yeah. and said, hey, this is how my time in the consulting world translate really well to the sporting industry. Yeah. Um, so first of all, there's a huge amount of crossover. I think in terms of working in strategy, your main role is solving businesses' main problems. So being able to understand what impacts large businesses around the world and then carry that across to sporting organisations provides you with some really valuable context. Um, but also presentation skills, you know, in consulting, you can be thrown in the deep end where you're presenting to a board or, you know, presenting to an executive team with minimal data or sometimes a huge amount of work that goes into a presentation. Um, so being able to think on your feet, being able to ask the right questions to extract information out of a client. Um, yeah, there's a huge amount of The list of could go on. <laughs> list could go on, exactly. Nice. So, so what did you do by way of... Um, either networking or preparing for your your job interview or even preparing your resume in a way that um, allowed Gemba to say this guy is serious about the sports industry and he's got the skills to match it. Yeah, it's a really good point because I hadn't worked in um, st strategy explicitly. 
um, prior to going to Gemba. So obviously my grad job was mergers and acquisitions, which ties into strategy and a lot of crossover. And then corporate finance at Macquarie is even more narrow than that. So the transition going back to strategy, which I'm sure we'll get to, but no one really knows at times what that entails because it's so broad. Um, yeah, it's it's a massive crossover. So, so were you like, um, uh, did you just find the Gamma job online, or did you? Yeah, so come about? it's a funny story. I've I got to um, sort of the second year of COVID, um, and realised for me now's the time that I want to pull the trigger on sport. Um, you know, I was working long hours at home 100% by myself in Excel. And I was like, <laughs> I, I want to work in sport now. I think, I think now's the time. So I found the job online um, and it's something which really resonated with me because I knew I wanted to work, instead of going directly to a sporting body, I wanted to work on consulting projects across all sporting bodies, different countries, different sports, mm. um, different stakeholder levels. So that was the appeal to me. I found the job online and applied for it. Um, did the initial sort of case study, which is classic for any um, consulting or strategy consulting interview. The case study was around um, the AFL expansion or potential AFL expansion to Tasmania and building a business case for that, um, which was work that Gemba had previously undertaken. And doing the case study, I was like, if this can be someone's full-time job, then like absolutely lock me in. I'll, I'll sign yeah. up straight away. You're probably um, doing case studies in your free time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Like we kind of joke about it, but that year, um, that year of, you know, everyone being locked down and being at home by yourself, I was just doing case studies by myself. <laughs> <laughs> how good. Just love it. So, solving problems. Um, you know, there's heaps of YouTube videos out there for yeah. how you can undertake a case study and what sports case studies exist out there and that sort of stuff. And listen to heaps of podcasts, listen to your guys' podcasts, listen to, you know, business in sport podcasts. And oh, yeah. Yeah. Who do you listen to from us? Um, oh, a long time ago. I can't, <laughs> I, I can't remember, to be honest. But yeah. I've listened to a few. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's pretty good tip for people wanting to do some extra work like yeah as you just said there's case studies out there you can just look at and you can just work on in your spare time that is yeah. just going to help you down the line prepare for any sort of situation any role yeah like that's pretty cool and it kind of shows how passionate you are about it that you were wanting to do your own work unpaid <laughs> on your own presenting back to yourself in your head yeah i wouldn't even call it work you're just entertaining yourself yeah, yeah, <laughs> entertaining yeah exactly exactly and you know we, we joked about it before the podcast as well but you once you start working in strategy your mindset or your brain completely switches like yeah I was parking my car in Cremorne and I was like, how can I solve Cremorne's car parking crisis? <laughs> and in my head, I'm building a business case and then I'm like, no, nah, I'll just leave this. <laughs> <laughs> Can't make a business case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. So yeah, applied for the job, um, was successful, was really nervous about taking it and making the transition from um, Big Four Consulting and banking to working in an agency environment um, just because I really didn't know what to expect. But, and... I'm an ard for the first couple of months because it's obviously a massive transition, um, but I'm loving it and wouldn't go back. Amazing, yeah. Nice. And and how did you um, uh, how did you prepare for your for your interview? Like, what sort of things did you do in preparation for that? Yeah. Um. So main preparation tips because fifty percent of the interview process was around case studies. I was already pretty well prepared for that, but for anyone wanting to work in sport, I think being across what the major issues are. Um, in sport at the moment and how sport's evolving, which you can get from reading articles, listening to podcasts, um, really sets you up well because it gives mm. you enough to talk about. Um, and then, you know, just being across really clear on one, why I wanted to make the transition from corporate into sport because mm. I, was, I thought that would be a question that I'd get pressed on pretty hard, which I did. Um, and then why the company or the sporting organisation? So for me, it's like, why do you want to work at Gemba as opposed to going to an AFL, going to an NRL, whatever it might be. Mm. Nice. That's really cool to hear that um, you had to be like super well grounded in your reasons for coming to this job and why this, and it sounds like the perfect role for you. Um, So I'm sure it wasn't hard for them to make a decision on you, but there are a lot of people out there who haven't done that background work, haven't figured out where exactly they want to be, what environment suits them as well. You talked about being in a club versus being Mm. in an agency and why that suits you best. Yeah. Uh, I think you're a great example of someone who's been super targeted in where what their job hunting approach is and it's worked out brilliantly for you. Yeah, exactly. And that's probably another piece of advice. Um, 
you know, there's so many jobs in sport out there. And I think sometimes you can look at it two ways. One, it's like you can take any job um, and sort of swallow your pride a little bit and just start somewhere and navigate your way through because there's definitely opportunity to do so. Or you can sort of undertake the approach that I did and be really targeted. And for me, it was like Gemba or bust. It's like, mm. if, I'm, if I don't get this job, I'm staying at Macquarie. Yeah. Mm. So... Yeah, I think nice. it just depends on your approach and what you're wanting to get out of a job in sport. Mm. Yeah, um, You don't have to answer this if you don't want to, yeah. but there's a lot more money in consulting than yes. there is in sport. Yeah, Was that ever an issue for you? Yeah, it was a massive issue. <laughs> <laughs> it was a massive issue, but um, there's a lot more to life, I think, than just money. And I think um, if, you're, if you're waking up every day with purpose and you're enjoying your job... Um, I sort of have faith that everything else will look after itself. Mm. Yeah. And you don't regret that now at all? Um, sometimes when I, see my, <laughs> when I see my electricity bill and my water bill, but no, nah, <laughs> nah, not, not at all. Nice. So, yeah. Um, I'm interested to hear um, some differences in the culture between going from a big four to yep. a sports agency. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, not knowing what it's like in, well, both really, yeah. but like... I can imagine there'd be a bit of a world of difference. Yeah, so massive, massive. What are some of those? So um, the major difference for me is size of teams and size of businesses. So I remember my first grad um, event at Deloitte a couple of days after starting and you meet your graduate cohort from around Australia. Mm. I don't know the exact number, but it would have been over 500 people. Um, and so you're meeting just a huge number of people and you get resourced into project teams which are like really well structured because a lot of the big four they're um the hierarchies from partner straight down to grad you know it's a tried and tested business model they're really structured in how they um, manage projects how they resource projects you're usually working on one or two projects at a time have a very distinct and clear role within that project um and you know comparing it back to a sport analogy if you look at a formula one pit stop and everyone has their specific role and that's their role that they're really good at um, and the team just builds mm. around that. That's sort of how definitely in M&A we structured our teams. Now I'm working in a strategy team of four people, soon to be five, across eight to ten projects at any time. Um, so there's a massive shift in terms of the diversity and spread of workload. Um, but also from a cultural perspective, you're working with a much smaller team, which means relationships are so much more important because, yeah. you know, you need to be getting along well with and trust and respect the people that you're working closely with as well. And like a lot more, you know, there's a lot more responsibility on each person. You know, it, it, I can imagine it would be hard to have a, a little piece of a project and now it's like you probably have to lead multiple. Yeah. And it, the onus is on you, whereas like before you can probably bounce off people a lot easier to to get that input yeah exactly and there's there's pros and cons to that um you know the pros are in in a smaller team you get loaded with responsibility um mm. an analyst in our team yesterday presented to arsenal on their licensing strategy by himself wow. um so <laughs> wow. you know that's that's an opportunity that in a massive company you you wouldn't yeah. get for years um mm. that's probably like a a really good point about working in sport like you you get those opportunities. Whereas in these huge companies, like you're, you're going to have to work for a long time to get the opportunity to present to Arsenal. Yeah. So that's probably a big plus for people wanting that experience. It's like you're, you're going to get that sooner. Yes, you're probably going to get paid a little bit less, but yeah. you're going to get that experience way sooner than if you were you know, working in a big four or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So probably the main difference is number of people and the size of the business. Um, mm. But I definitely see that as a positive. You know, I never had the opportunity to be involved in like team financial planning and resource planning and setting budgets and all that sort of stuff, which now I'm getting the opportunity to do so. And mm. that's something that in a larger company you wouldn't be doing unless you're part of the partnership. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what about the influence of others uh, on you in terms of how did the people uh, in the consulting world influence your world? And then how did the people at Gemba in, in sport, what sort of influence have they had on you and how do they compare to each other? Yeah, so in terms of my career, I always try and have mentors at any point. Um, it's just the way that I sort of work best is having someone, male or female, five years older than me. That's for some reason the time frame that I always set, being like in your career and in your life, that's what I aspire to. And I use them as a role model and I bounce ideas off them. Um, I was really lucky to have that in consulting. Obviously, you're working with some really smart people 
all the time who, you know, we talked about before um, what I was doing during my grad years, but then there's people who are senior management consultants, directors, partners that have three kids, they're volunteering, they're on 10 boards, you know, they're doing so much. And I think having someone to bounce ideas off, to get advice off, um, but also who you can provide value to as well is really important. So I definitely had that in the consulting world. And then from a Gemba perspective, you know, you're working with some of the smartest people in sport all the time. Um, so being in a smaller office, there's probably 25 or 30 of us in the Melbourne office, um, all super passionate about sport. You're bouncing ideas off each other all the time. And I could count, oh, I couldn't begin to tell you how many times we've come up with every idea under the sun that's going to change the landscape of sport globally <laughs> over a cup of tea or something. But um, yeah, I think in both aspects, you, you develop mentorship and close relationships with people that you can really look up to and learn a lot of. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think are the, the main benefits from the people in, in either side of the different industries? Yeah, so I think from a, from a consulting perspective, I think coming out of university and not really knowing what to do, working in consulting is a really broad place to start because you get to understand businesses' problems. There's a lot of presentation required. So you're dealing with clients and stakeholders um, and you're learning from people that have worked in that industry for a while who can provide you with really good advice or skill sets. And then from a Gemba perspective or from a sporting perspective, you're, as I said, you're just dealing with people who love sport. Mm. Um, mm. Awesome. Um, Let's delve into your, your role now because yeah. and we've, we've covered a bit about it, but a lot of people, I, I think, don't understand what the word strategy means in a number of roles in yeah. sport or just working in general. So, like, what, what, what are some things that you work on day to day as a strategy consultant yeah. for the people out there who, are, who aren't really sure what strategy means in all this? No worries. So, I've tried to split what we do into some really clear, like, buckets Um, just to provide a bit more context. So in terms of some of the stuff that we work on, strategic planning, commercial strategy, participation product development, fan engagement strategies, digital strategies, broadcast rights strategies and valuations, league expansion analysis and infrastructure business case development. So some of the projects that I'm... Yeah. (laughs) So to answer your question, everything under the sun. Um, In terms of what I'm working on at the moment, I'm leading a project around a media media rights valuation and negotiation um, for a big sport, um, which is going really well. It's really interesting. I think the shifting landscape of broadcasting, largely driven by COVID and largely driven by the younger generation having appetite for not watching full sports, watching, you know, those KO minis and um, the change in the digital landscape means that a lot of organisations are shifting towards shorter broadcast deals because the media landscape is changing so rapidly. Um, and then we're working on a lot of stuff with league expansions as well. You know, every league wants to expand as much mm. as possible as they can in Australia. We've seen it recently with the NBL and the success that the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers have had. Um, there's always commentary about AFL and NRL expansion and what the impacts are to existing teams and what it would look like for a new team. Um, so there's some of the key projects that we're working on and then really clear strategies for um, sporting organisations as well. So developing 10 or 20 year strategies around how can you drive participation at the grassroots level? How can you have clear talent pathways from community level football or rugby, whatever it might be, through to the elite? How can you have supporting facilities and infrastructure to support um, the rapid growth of female participation across the country? Mm. And and like the nature of that work, so... Would you essentially, as a consultant, would you go and, you know, embed yourself in these organisations essentially? Yeah. And then you basically get told the problem, you go away, work on it for X amount of time, you present back and then it's up to them what they do with that information. Yeah, and yeah. And it's on repeat essentially. That's, and that's why the, the presentation skills, as you've mentioned, are so important. Yeah, and what we try and do... Um, more so again, but then in in past organisations I've worked for is really involve whoever the client is in the strategy development and in the process. So, you know, so much of my day is calls or teams, videos, workshops and consultations with clients, with community stakeholders, Mm -hmm. with executives of the sporting organisation working out what they're doing well, what they're not doing well, what the future opportunities are, how are they going to define success in the future and then bringing that to life. So, you know, using Gemba's intellectual capital to build out, you know, PowerPoint slides and reports, how they can implement it successfully and measure it. It must be quite um, 
rewarding being able to see all these different organisations and how they run. Yeah. You know, you'd have visibility into, you know, all the big NSOs or different clubs and for you it's like they do things that way, they do things that way and you'd be able to learn the best practice in a way. So you've probably got the best insight and of anybody about how to run successful organisations in a way. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And one thing, going back to what I said earlier around um, some of the surprises that I had probably from going from like a more commercial role to sport is what I've seen is the leagues which are doing really well or sometimes the clubs which are the most successful clubs don't necessarily have the best talent pathways. They don't necessarily have the best Mm -hmm. or most capable staff. Um, So it doesn't mean sport's not just, you know, we're making this amount of profit every year or we're top of the ladder or winning flags. There's so much more to a sporting organisation than both of those things. Um, And that's something which, even though I'm only six months in, I'm really starting to learn. Mm. In in terms of the process of your strategy development, when you start working with a new client, where where do you begin? Um, So we always begin by understanding the current landscape of the sport. So we would build out a current landscape report, which uses, again, some of our insights. So we have a full insights division, which runs um, surveys around Australia, extracting heaps of information around what constitutes a fan of a sport. What are those fan behaviours? Um, what constitutes a participant? How often are they participating? So we use a huge amount of data to inform sort of a current landscape or a lay of the land for that sport. And then if it's a specific um, state issue or if it's a specific sport issue, really start to tie in what other sports are doing well and what we're seeing from other sports. There you go. Very good. And what, what sort of metrics kind of come out of that initial landscape report? Um, how you grow, how you grow your fan base. Um, it's always membership, attendance, viewership on TV, digital downloads, social media interaction. Mm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of fairly consistent metrics across all sports, which initially sporting organisations and bodies are um, looking to understand where they can get upside. Yeah. Mm. Is, there, is there any particular project, I'm just throwing this out, yeah. there, any particular project from your previous life in the world of consulting that's translated really well to a project that you've found now? (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. Every every project is so different and that's something that I'm starting to learn even um, in a a sporting sense. You know, you might get engaged to develop a strategy for a sport and win another project which is like you're developing a strategy for this sport and in your head you'll be like, oh, there's heaps of crossover. You know, there's going to be a lot of similar issues and then once you dig a little bit into the next step of developing the strategy, so past that current landscape and into the strategy development Mm. you realize every sport has their own unique issues or own unique challenges which need to be addressed so Mm. to honestly answer your question no because i think every project that i've worked on has just been so different Mm. and just in terms of the way that consulting firms operate they seem to solve problems for a lot of different industries yeah do they work with the sports industry and how come these sporting specific consultant firms such as gemba exists when there's massive firms out there who do a lot of other stuff but maybe not sport yeah it's a great question i think um a danger of a larger organization particularly is you can be a jack of all trades master of none um the benefit of gamba is we've got years of sports specific experience we know the majority of sports and organizations inside out so a lot of um, clients come to us because of that really targeted knowledge um again you know we we pitch for work regularly and you're always coming up against big companies and that sort of stuff which presents its challenges um but yeah i think having that sport specific knowledge or sport specific focus is something which companies are starting to value more and more Mm. Mm. has any big four firm tried to acquire gemba and just pull them in underneath their banner oh not to my not to my knowledge but (laughs) i can i can definitely understand the appeal Mm. um Nice. I think that was a good little summary of strategy. I think a lot of people needed that, so thank you. Mm. Um, one thing that stood out to me when we, we spoke the other day briefly was your emphasis on volunteering. Yeah. And you've done and you continue to do a lot of work um, with the Salvation Army, Civic yeah. to Surf, yeah. those kind of organisations. Um, tell us a bit more about those experiences and, and you've kept on doing them, which means you, you enjoy them. Yeah. And, and how important is volunteering for someone who, who wants to work in sport yeah, um, and, you know, would love to hear the experiences you've had with them. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll probably talk more to um, the Civic to Surf. So when I was at university, um, f- 
from 2010 through to 2014. Um, I was at a college up at ANU for three or four years. And the guy who was like the president of our college was the most amazing sportsman, the best academically, head of our college, so up and about. Um, but behind closed doors, he was having a really tough time. And I remember so clearly he got up in front of the whole college, kind of out of nowhere, doing his um, you know, head of college speech or whatever, and started talking about his mental health journey. Um, and from that, he started this charity called Patir, which is Sydney-based. They deliver, um, they work with a lot of sporting organisations, but they deliver um, sort of mental health programs to schools and universities. So what happened was, at the time, I was the men's health officer of my college. So um, the way that colleges were set up is you basically have your like head of college and then a series of prefects, and every prefect has a designated role. And my role was like men's mental health and men's physical health. Um, which I loved, but also had massive challenges at the time. Um, you know, you're dealing with probably 150 males who, um, at the start, when I accepted the role, I was like, oh, it'll be fine. No one's going to come to me and you know, <laughs> no, one, no one's going to talk to me about any of that stuff. I can honestly say for the best part of a year, my door was getting knocked, you know, five or six times a day just for a chat or for some help or some guidance in the right direction. Wow. So that's where a passion for mental health came from. Um, Seb, who's the guy who founded Batia, then started Batia, and a couple of my mates were like, this is a really good idea. We want to raise some money for Batia. So they organised a run from five of them. They organised a run from Canberra to Sydney over the course of seven days and they raised heaps of money. And then the next year, I was like, that's a really good starting point for the charity. And then comes back to a consulting mindset, which I didn't know existed at Where's the time. the strategy behind <laughs> yeah. it? Come on, let's I'm build like, it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, they've done a really good job and they've raised a bit of money, but I'm going to scale this and I'm going to turn what was a five-person run over five days into a 24-hour relay, including 80 people from ANU and Sydney University. Um, and we raised a heap of money and it just drove a passion for me um, around yeah, around mental health, around what those charities can do. But do you have had amazing partnerships over the years with New South Wales, Waratahs and a heap of other mm. sporting organisations. Um, and it's interesting, like some of the insights that we've pulled out from Gemba's Insights Program have said from the survey respondents, mental health is what they perceive to be the number one issue facing sport over sort of the next five to ten years. Um, so tying that oh. back to volunteering, one, it's really important to have passions outside of your work to keep you sane. Um, number two mental health for me is something which is so important i think it's it's an ongoing issue you know we're seeing it in sport all the time with players taking their mental health breaks um it's really important to be able to bring your best the best of yourself to work and the best of yourself to your family and friends and partners and all that sort of stuff um but then three tying it into a sporting context um volunteering is the best way to meet people in the sporting industry mm. and people really respect um you know you giving up your time for a purpose that you genuinely believe in nice unreal that's that's very cool to see and to know that you've continued to do that on top of what your your seven day working a week already yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know how your clothes got washed stage <laughs> mum your, yeah. your calendar would be out of this world yeah. you must need some serious uh sorting of things yeah, yeah. what's I'll, happening that's yeah. funny because in sort of my day-to-day, without a calendar, I'd be pretty stuffed. I'm <laughs> yeah. a, a bit of a shambles. I'm not, not very good at cooking and cleaning and all that sort of stuff, <laughs> yeah. but it's a work in progress. Yeah. Oh, I think one thing that's so apparent with you is that you're just so passionate about what you do. And you've, the best decision I think you've made is find something that you love to do because yeah. everything has just become so easy for you after that. It might not have felt in, easy the entire time, but yeah. I think people who try and force themselves into doing something that they don't necessarily enjoy but think they should be doing just find themselves pushing a boulder up a hill the entire time whereas yeah. for you the floodgates are open and you're just spending your entire life doing it you've just immersed yourself in every situation possible um jacob tober last week who we chatted with he was another great example from a sports science perspective he'd go to uni learn the content apply it in every angle of his life and it sounds like you've just you know dived into every situation of your life with this consulting brain that you've got tried to solve problems along the way that you care about yeah and you've come out in a very good situation yeah i agree with all of that (laughs) i love also that like you have you've made peace with the fact that you're following a passion and you're not following like money and wealth and things like that like i feel like a lot of people like i genuinely think there's a lot of people who who would be in your position who are working in jobs that like pay really well yeah working 
so hard yeah. and like the trajectory is great but they're probably not loving what they do yeah so i love mm-hmm. how you set out from the start you're like i'm gonna work in sport i'm gonna go through this to get some really good experience and you know learn and get to that point and now you just pull the trigger and you're totally fine with the fact that you could probably earn heaps over there but <laughs> yeah. you're like no like i'm sticking to my guns and what i love to do yeah and what i've wanted to do for so long yeah and so. it's, it's really interesting that you say that because there's been sort of a few life moments that you get there you know there's times where you're working really late in the office in previous jobs um and you're like do i really love what i'm doing and if the answer is no then you know you need to change something up mm. but the whole time i kind of had that belief that i was working towards something yeah which i really wanted on the flip side and sort of the discussion around money like the world is changing so much i think for our parents generation it's like you take a grad job in a prestigious company and you work your way up and it's a very yeah. safe route there's 14 year olds playing fifa and in millions of dollars a year yeah. <laughs> online i heard that on the weekend i was like oh, wow yeah like, we're, we're too late <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah um we're also not saying you're not on a bad wicket by the way you're probably <laughs> great money so yeah um for those who do have a commercial background, whether they've done a commerce degree, economics degree, yeah. what uh, and maybe some of them have slipped into you know grad roles at consulting firms or law firms, uh, what would you say to them if they were looking at making a transition into the sports industry? Yeah, um, I think there's never a wrong time to do so. I think if anything now is a really good time to do so because a lot of organisations have restructured as a result of COVID and are a lot more clear on the roles within their organisations and what they're trying to achieve. Um, but at the same time, if you're if you're not enjoying your job at present and you really know that you want to work in sport and you're working in one of those sort of commercial roles, whether it be you know, consulting, investment banking at a law firm, whatever it is, you're on a really good path to to getting there. It's just you need to supplement that with um, an interest in sport outside of work. Yeah. Mm. That's a really good point about having supplementing it with an interest outside of sport because I think what a sport management degree does for most people is just say, I'm interested in sport. Yeah. But if you don't have sport in the title of your degree... Sometimes you need to go outside of that and find a grassroots club to step into, find the MCC or something else that you know, actually paints living proof that you are passionate about sport and willing to put into it. Because everyone can say, I love sport, here's my favourite AFL team, but what are you willing to do to go above and beyond what, what else you're doing? So I think it's a really valid point. Um, finally, we've got, I've got a couple more questions. One is, what's some advice for someone just coming out of uni or yeah. at uni who have strategy in their sights yeah. and want to get into that? Yeah, I think as a starting point, um, know why you would want to work in strategy and what it entails. Yep. Um, I think a lot of people that are hiring for junior roles at the moment, a lot of the commentary that comes around unsuccessful applicants is they didn't really know why they wanted the job or they didn't know what a job entails. And I think that's a product of grads sort of coming out of uni and applying for tens or in some cases hundreds of jobs and just sort of throwing the resume out into the world and Mm. just hoping something lands where I think being really structured and strategic in what you want to do and why, whether that's strategy or marketing or any other aspect of sport is really important. Yeah, nice. Um, Mate, finally, the other day I was trolling through LinkedIn and I saw an incredible report that Gemba has just put out on NFTs, crypto, and you know how they're having an impact on the Australian sporting landscape. So yeah. I quickly emailed uh, our good friends at Gemba and I actually said this would be perfect for um, someone to come in and present this to the sports grad community. So we've been lucky to get you to come in next Wednesday and present that report, um, which is pretty exciting because I need some a serious bit of knowledge on nfts and crypto and all that kind of thing but yeah can you give us a bit little bit of a taste about what that's about um for those interested and and listening this is an, an exclusive sports grade community uh presentation so if you want to come along and listen to ollie jump into the community um it's going to be absolutely awesome so next wednesday um ollie's going to give us a bit of a teaser now to get you on board but uh yeah i'm genuinely excited for it yeah, I'll um I'll do my best to wrap what is a very complex industry in the space <laughs> of about 15 or 20 seconds. But in short, NFT stands for non-fungible token. It means the purchase or the transaction of a digital asset. A lot of sports are heading in that way because there's a massive revenue diversification opportunity there. 
Um, the NBA have recently released their NBA Top Shots, which is a series of sort of NBA highlights which people can actually own. So you might own a LeBron James dunk, and as we were talking about before, every time that asset is viewed, mm. sometimes the revenue flows through to the owner. Or you might like as like the modern day version of um, footy playing cards, which I knew, you know, I know I used to collect at primary Absolutely. school. Um, but we're really excited to present on it. We're doing a lot of research around NFTs and crypto at the moment, particularly the impact that it will have on sports in the future. Um, we recently attended a Sport NXT conference in Melbourne and out of the three-day conference, the whole buzz was around NFTs. So yeah. it's something which we're really focused on. It's super early days in terms of the sporting landscape, um, but something which I think is really important and interesting to be across. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to that. I think you, know, you guys are extremely well-placed to deliver that. So, um, yeah, can't wait to share that with the, with the team. Cool. Thanks very much, guys. And just um, a compliment from us to you. As I said, you know, before we went online, um, I've been following the sports grad journey for a little while now. And I think what you guys are doing is really important in terms of the sport industry itself. But I know I was so lost coming out of university and trying to navigate a career for sport in myself, which luckily for me, it's worked out. But the industry is in a better place with guys like you doing your stuff. So really appreciate it. That's too kind, mate. Thank you. <laughs> That's way too kind. Thank you, mate. It's uh, It's been great to chat. And uh, geez, the insight we've got from today into strategy, but also just your journey to get there mm. um, has been awesome. So really appreciate that. It's going to be a lot of listeners who have learned a lot uh, from this episode. So really appreciate you coming in and we can't wait for uh, your Prezzo next Wednesday. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Alrighty, well, awesome chat with Ollie there. That was uh, one of the the great episodes, I reckon, Rubes. Just good mm. conversation and just some great explanation around sports strategy and, and what is involved in that world because it seems there's just endless possibilities with that line of, of sport. So what were some things that you took away from that? I think the number one thing I took away from Ollie is just how passionate he is about this and how well his skill set is suited to what he does. Yeah. And... Um, there's a great quote that goes by, find the thing that looks like play to you, or sorry, that feels like play to you, but looks like work to others. Mm. And I think Ollie has absolutely found that. And I think that's probably the best decision he's ever made because he's now out there every day. And as you heard in his own time during COVID, creating consulting case studies for himself to go and solve. So that's come from having a really good think about what problem do I want to solve? You know, Ollie's thought about where do I want to spend my time? What problems are around the world that are worth me spending my time that I'm actually mm. interested in? Because he ducked health and PA yeah. all through school. He could have gone down the health route yeah. quite easily and been amazing at that. But he decided, this is what I'm most interested in. This is what I care about deeply. Yeah. This is how I'm going to apply my trade. And I think that decision has just made every other decision after that mm. much, much easier. So I think one takeaway from Ollie is find the problem that you are really invested in and is worth solving because you're going to enjoy it the most. Yep. Um, I'm taking away the fact that like all he really did when he, you know, was working casual shifts at, at the MCG, <coughs> he goes my voice again, uh, is just nail his job at the time. And a lot of people say to us like, I'm working casually at the moment. Like what do I need to do to get a full-time job or, you know, progress in my current role? To be honest, like all he did was just do his job really well, and that's almost all that matters when you're in that in that job. Just mm. nail what you're doing, and then those extra opportunities will come. So, for those out there in casual roles, just kill it, absolutely mm. dominate it. Because he got handpicked because I think he mentioned demeanor. Mm. You know, it was his demeanor that got him into that position. So if you can just do your job really well with a smile on your face and you enjoy it. And that's, you know, the first step to, to getting something else down the track. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is the first step. Like, as we said at the start, they're not extracurricular. They are required curricular. You yeah. have to be doing something else. A mm. degree is not enough or just a usual job is not enough if you want yeah. to step across. Uh, and then finally, I think a, a really important takeaway for those who have a similar background to Ollie is just consider the right time to get into sport. Because as Ollie was extremely mindful of, he wanted to spend time in the consulting world to build up the foundations of his skill set yeah. that he could then apply to the problems he enjoyed solving most. So um, he was really mindful of 
not getting into sport too soon, spending some time in diverse industries, working across a wide range of problems, mm. and then adding to that those re- required activities as we talk about. Buzzword. To then five years down the track after um, stepping out of university, then transitioning into sport. So yeah. everyone's situation is different, but just have a think about when is the right time for you to step into sport? Yeah, I love that. Um, a reminder as well. So next Wednesday, the 25th of May, we've got Ollie coming in to present on NFTs, crypto and the Australian sports landscape, which we are very, very excited for. This is a sports grad community exclusive presentation, which is really exciting. So for those out there who haven't jumped into the community, this is a great opportunity to jump in, have a look at Ollie, see what kind of webinars we're, we're doing inside um, and it's a great sort of test and learn for you to see, you know, how the sports grade community operates. So come along and listen to Ollie, an expert in this space with Gemba. Um, it'll be an absolute ripper webinar with, with plenty to listen to. Um, so get involved. And if you've got any other questions for Ollie based on what you've heard today, this is exactly the time to, yeah. to connect with him, to uh, ask away anything that you need to. So be sure to jump in. Yeah, very exciting. I'm, I'm pumped. Alrighty, well, find us on LinkedIn, plus be sure to jump into the SportsGrad community, as we've mentioned. We'd love to chat with you on there. Head to sportsgrad.com.au slash community to join or head to the link in our show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.